0: Hey, hey, welcome back. We are halfway through our summer road trip. I've been having so much fun visiting all these old episodes from the past school year. I hope you have grabbed a few nuggets along the way as well. And if you're newer to the podcast, hopefully this has been a great way to catch you up to speed with what we've been talking about all year. This week's theme is all about the teacher life. If you know, you know. And if you're not a teacher, you don't know. But if you are a teacher, which of course you likely are if you're listening to this podcast, you know that the teacher life is a special one and one that you can only relate to if you have been in our shoes. And so this week, I'm going to be highlighting some clips of some episodes that I did all about not just surviving the teacher life, but thriving in it. So I'm excited to share with you these clips all about the teacher life. And remember, with each weekly theme here on our road trip, there are freebies and giveaways going on over at the website, and you can get there by going to classroomnook.com forward slash summer road trip. Make sure you do that today so you don't miss this week's giveaway, and there will be all the details about how to get the freebies that go along with each week. All right, let's dive in to the teacher life. This first episode comes from one of my very first podcast episodes here on The Classroom Commute, Episode 3, How to Survive a Difficult School Year. I've had my fair share of difficult school years, and along the way, I've learned some tips and tricks to not just make it through to the end of the year, but to keep my sanity and come out the other side smiling. So listen in. One of the great things about teaching is that it has a start and an end every single school year. Every year you'll get a new batch of kids and you get a fresh start. So even if you are in the thick of it right now, it won't last forever and it will only be temporary. And there are some simple things that you can do to get through the day and get past it. So I'm going to share with you the things that I did that got me through. The first one, the most important one, coffee. Yes, I know this sounds so, so simple. And if you're not a coffee drinker, think of something else that you enjoy tea or whatever, whatever your favorite drink of the morning is. It's simple but it's necessary. And I'm not talking about home-brewed coffee. No, 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 no. You have to have something that's gonna wanna get you out of the bed every single morning. You gotta have something to look forward to. And so when you are driving on your way to school, you're gonna swing through Dunkin' Donuts or even upgrade to Starbucks or wherever your favorite coffee shop is and treat yourself to the little happiness that is coffee. But you know what else I did? I would often grab a cup for my co-teacher because we both needed it. And sometimes she would do the same. It was our little way of saying, yep, this sucks, but here's some coffee. And giving that little happiness to somebody else would give a little happiness to you as well. So coffee, first and foremost, get yourself a good cup of coffee, tea, whatever it is that you love to drink in the morning. Okay, number two, the next thing that I would do to get me through this year was I was extra prepared. So I could pretty much guarantee that my day was not going to go according to plan, and I knew that somewhere along the way, each day a lesson would be sabotaged and the learning would go right out the window. I'd have to stop and deal with some behavior issue, make a phone call, or chase a student down the hallway. And when this happens, what do you do with your other students? Well, you have to have plan B. You gotta have an extra activity always tucked away on your desk that students can work on if something else takes your attention away. Always have something extra prepared. Number three, use your resources. When I first started teaching, I always felt like it was a sign of weakness to go back and ask for help from the principal, the behavior specialist, or any other support staff. I was afraid they were going to view me as not knowing what to do, which I didn't, or think I didn't have control of my class. Didn't have that either. But I knew that if I was going to make it, I was going to need help. If things got bad, I would call for backup. Sometimes two, three times a day. I had a buddy teacher that I could send a student to if they needed to cool off and step away. And think ahead. Reach out to another teacher ahead of time and say, hey, if I need you, can I call you? If I need to send a student your way, are you cool with that? So that you're prepared and you have a plan set in place for when things get rough. The next thing that I did almost every day during the school year that was that year was I worked out a lot. I know, I know. The last thing that you want to do at the end of a long, hard school day is go to the gym, go for a walk, go for a run. You might just want to go home and have a glass of wine and a box of tissues. But on the days that I went to the gym after a terrible day, I felt better. There's something about working it off and getting those endorphins flowing in our bodies and recharging and resetting that will give us a new perspective, that will give us that energy that we need to go into the next day. And if you don't go to the gym, if you don't like to work out, Take a walk around your neighborhood, even take a walk around your school a couple laps just to work it off, work off the bad day and get it out of your system. This next episode comes from another early episode here on the podcast all about the seven habits of highly effective teachers. I love this episode because a lot of times we think about, okay, what's the next great strategy that I can use in my classroom? Or how am I going to teach writing or reading or whatever it is that you're teaching? And we sometimes forget the fundamental habits that all teachers need in order to be successful. So in this episode, I'm sharing just a few. Habit number one, effective teachers are open to change. This one gets tougher and tougher the longer you teach, right? You start to think you've got it all figured out and then bam, your administrator tells you you're going to be starting a new reading program in the fall just after you finished organizing all your reading materials from the old program. Super annoying, right? But effective teaching means that you're ready to make changes that are in the best interest of your students. Let me say that again. The best interest of your students, even if that means a temporary inconvenience for you. Ouch, I know that hurts. Now, I'm not saying that every change that your administrator or that your schools want to make is great for students, but I'd like to encourage you to keep an open mind as education changes because it will sooner or later and probably sooner. Of course, I always want you to fight for what your students need to be successful, but I also want you to be open to changes that may make that happen, even if it's not something you're super comfortable with. Habit number two, effective teachers actively seek out inspiration. We all like to think that we've got great ideas, and we do, but it's also super important to have a source of inspiration to help keep you fresh. Inspiration comes in the form of visiting another teacher's classroom or or asking his or her opinion or thoughts on a new project that you're working on. It can come by reading a new professional development book to spice up your teaching practices. And yes, it can come through looking at your Pinterest feed. Woohoo! Make it a habit to regularly seek out new inspiration. If you are doing the same activity year after year after year, it might be time to switch it up. Doesn't mean that that activity wasn't great, but But even the greatest activities and lessons become out of date for our ever-changing education system. Habit number three, effective teachers cultivate family connections. I know, I know, sometimes parents can be a little demanding and think that their child could do no wrong, but effective teachers work with the students' families to build stronger family relationships, even if you don't always see eye to eye. This also means that effective teachers are not threatened by parent advocacy. It's important for us to really listen to parents' concerns. Before you're quick to think that they're just being difficult or that they don't trust you as their teacher, stop to listen to them and try to find the middle ground. Because if you don't, working with that parent will always be a struggle and you'll always be wrong in their eyes, even if you are right. All right, let's keep moving. In this next clip from episode 35, I'm talking all about co teaching. If you've ever had the opportunity to work with another teacher right in your classroom, whether that was job sharing or you were the special education teacher to a general education teacher or vice versa, you know that. Working with another teacher can be really hard work, even if you love the person. So in this episode, I'm sharing some tips to make the transition from being a single teacher in your classroom by yourself to co-teaching with someone else. Have a listen. My first tip for you is to know your strengths. This one was hard for me because no teacher wants to admit that they can't handle something or that they simply just don't know what to do. But when it came to working with students with special needs, I had to rely on my co-teacher because she knew the best ways to modify for students who needed it. She was much stronger at understanding how to de-escalate a student's behavior, and she was much calmer than I was in crazy situations. So one of the best things about co-teaching and job sharing is that you can draw on each other's strengths so that you both bring your best and then you can rely on each other for the things that you're not so great at. It's important to know what you're best at so that you can let the co-teacher take the reins on his or her strengths. Tip number two is to be clear about your expectations and, this is a big and, be willing to compromise. When we have our own classrooms, we can run it and organize it any way we'd like, to some extent, of course. But when we share the room and the students with another teacher, we have to be clear about what we expect from our co-teacher and be realistic. So before the year starts, if you're at that point, or as soon as possible, sit down with your co-teacher and share your expectations for him or her and have your co-teacher do the same. If either of your expectations of each other seem unrealistic, then just be honest and compromise about it. For example, if you're the kind of teacher that likes to stay late at school to prep for the next day, then perhaps your expectation is that your co-teacher will do the same. However, if your co-teacher has to pick up their kids from childcare, then it's unrealistic for you to expect him or her to be able to stay late with you. Work something out between the two of you so that you both feel like you are equally sharing the load. And remind yourself that just because you would do something a certain way doesn't mean that if your co-teacher does it another way, it's wrong. So be clear about what your expectations are so that you can get ahead of any potential problems that may arise as you get going in the school year. The next tip is to choose a specific mode of communication and use it often. Successful co-teaching requires a lot of communication, so choose the mode of communication that works best for you and your co-teacher. Be clear about when and how often you will be checking in with each other, aside from obviously when you're at school together. For example, will you email each other on Sunday night with updates for the coming week? Are you better at texting for quick access to each other? The mode of communication that you often use with other people may not be the same as your co-teacher, so make sure that you agree upon one and then use it often. And then later on in this episode, I'm going to share with you a couple tools that you can use to communicate with one another. The next tip is to use the same systems. Do you have a special place where you like to keep your lesson plans and your papers to grade? Do you have a system for making copies for the next week? And if you listen to last week's episode, episode number 34, you hopefully have answered yes to that because you sat down and developed all your systems for the school year. But be sure that whatever systems you do use and whatever processes you follow for running your classroom, be sure that you've agreed upon those systems so that you aren't stepping on each other's toes and it'll help streamline the process so that you know exactly what the other teacher is doing and how they're doing it. The last tip that I have for you is to educate your students. Chances are some of your students in your classroom are not used to having two teachers in their classroom. Now there's two teachers giving directions and two teachers disciplining and two teachers to refer to. This can be confusing for students. After you and your co-teacher are clear with each other about your student expectations and the routines and procedures you want them to follow and any other classroom process, educate your students about what you have agreed upon. Perhaps you want your students to refer to you for certain classroom routines and your co-teacher for another. Make all of your expectations known and educate your students about them so that they don't have to play mom and dad with you and the co-teacher. And they don't try to get away with something with mom versus dad. In some cases, it might be appropriate to share with your students the specific roles that both you and your co-teacher have in the classroom. The more you can share with your students, the more you can eliminate confusion between how your classroom is going to be run. Now, I want to point out that later on in that same episode, episode 35, I give some specific tools that I have used when I was co-teaching. So if you want to learn some tools to help put some of those strategies that I mentioned into action, make sure you listen to the entire episode. All right, this next clip comes from episode 34. Now, we spend a lot of time, and actually, I spend a lot of time here on the podcast talking about routines and procedures for our students. If you've been with me for a while, you know that I think it is so important that you start with routines and procedures before you even touch the curriculum because if you don't have routines and procedures in place, well, you're asking for some really rough roads up ahead. But sometimes we don't think about the routines and procedures that we need to develop and establish for ourselves. And so in episode 34, I talked about routines and procedures that every teacher needs in order to be successful when they're working with their students and when they're working in their classroom on their own, preparing to teach their students. So have a listen. I'm going to break routines and procedures for teachers up into three categories. The first category being those routines and procedures that you do right away in the morning when you first arrive at school or maybe even before you get to school. The second category are going to be those routines and procedures that you will follow during your lunch and planning periods. And then finally, I'm going to be talking about some routines and procedure tips for the afternoon after your students have left for the day and you are ready to wind up your day before heading home. So let's first talk about your morning routine. When you arrive at school, do you know exactly what you need to do before students arrive? Checking off the same tasks every day, either literal tasks or even mental tasks, things that you need to think through. And if you do them in the same order, it will help you start your day on the right foot. It's amazing how creating and following a very specific routine can be so freeing. You'll find that you forget less when you do things exactly the same way every day. No more running to the copy room to make those copies of that one sheet that you forgot about. We are designed to be creatures of habit. Routines eventually run on autopilot and free up space in our minds. So consider including these tasks to streamline your morning routine. The first task on many teachers' to-do lists in the morning is to check your mailbox in the office or wherever your mailboxes are housed. Check any messages on your school phone from parents or other teachers and administrators in the building. Check your email. Although you may want to include this particular task in the afternoon so that you don't get sucked into a rabbit hole of email after email. But if you can put some limits on how long you let yourself check an email, you might want to include this in your morning routine. Pass out morning and bell work that you provide to the students and put it on their desks and have them ready to go if needed. Set your classroom schedule display for the day if you have one. Reset your behavior charts. For example, if you have a clip chart that you use for your students, be sure that all students are back on that ready-to-learn spot or wherever they begin their day at. Review your daily plans and make sure that you have all the copies and handouts and materials ready to go. This should also be part of your afternoon routine as preparation for the next day, but it always helps if you have one last look at it before you start your day. So think about these tasks that I just mentioned and literally put them in the order that you want to complete them and do it in that order every single day and it will eventually become autopilot and you will know exactly what to do as soon as you walk in the room. Now let's talk about some routines and procedures for your lunch and your planning period. You don't want to spend your entire lunch period at the copy machine, so make sure you have clear expectations about what tasks you'll allow yourself to complete during your lunch and your planning period. Ideally, during your lunch, you're going to (laughs) eat. What a novel idea. And when you start to get clear about your routines for other times during the day, hopefully you're going to find that you'll be able to do just that more and more. Since planning periods are typically too short to really accomplish anything major, Make sure that you're realistic about what you can get done. I like to use my planning period for miscellaneous tasks that are not crucial to the success of the rest of that day. So during your planning period, you might consider these following tasks to complete as part of your planning period routine. Check and respond to emails. Again, give yourself some barriers and some guidelines and limits to how long you let yourself do that. Prep any materials that you might be using for the rest of the day, such as math manipulatives or any science equipment that you might need for a science experiment. Have those set out ready to go. Grade a specific amount of papers that you think you might be able to complete make any quick phone calls, and straighten up your desk and classroom areas. As the day goes on, our desk can become quite the pile of papers, so give yourselves a quick five minutes to roughly put things back into place, and you can do this again at the end of the day as well to do a final sweep through. All right, that episode goes on to talk about some of the routines and procedures that you should be doing at the end of your school day before going home, so make sure you check out the full episode for all the details on that. Okay, that brings us to our final clip for today's theme on teacher life, and this one comes from episode 39, all about teacher overwhelm. Teacher overwhelm is real, and a lot of teachers don't deal with it, and I myself have been in that trap of just ignoring my overwhelming feelings, and then they spiral out of control. So in this clip, I'm sharing some strategies for dealing with teacher overwhelm. Here it is. The first strategy to minimize and eliminate the overwhelm in your life is to systematize your stress. Like I mentioned, for me, I feel most overwhelmed when I think about all of the tasks that I have to complete. And those tasks, if I don't write them down or put them in a calendar, they seem in my head to be constantly piling up with no end in sight. So what can you do when your brain starts that inevitable tailspin of creating mental checklists that seemed endless? Do a brain dump. Write everything down in your head that's on your to-do checklist in your head, both teacher and personal related. Write down your son's soccer game that you have to go to. Jot down copies that you need to make or phone calls that need to be done. Write or type it all down. I actually use an online tool called Trello And it's basically an online project manager, but you're allowed to create these lists and checklists and tags and all sorts of things inside of Trello. And I actually have a tab called Brain Dump. And anytime I'm out and about, I think of something that I don't wanna forget, I go to my phone and I go to the Trello app and I go to my Brain Dump tab and I just put it in there. That way I know I won't forget it. And then each day before I begin my tasks for the day, I look at my Brain Dump and see if there's anything that I need to put on today's calendar or as I'm planning out my week, I go to my brain dump tab and I see what things I need to maybe schedule out for the week. When you get it all out of your head and onto paper or on your computer screen or wherever, you now clear the space in your head so that you can breathe a little bit. And once you've got it all down, you can start circling and chunking tasks that go together. For example, you might circle together or star or color code or however you want to organize it all. Things that are urgent that need to be done first and put those on your calendar first. You can also group tasks that are related so that you can bang them all out together. It's been shown study after study that when we do like tasks together, it reduces that shift that you do in your brain when you are task switching and you're going from one type of task to another task. You lose a lot of mental energy when you go from unlike task to unlike task. So if you group things that are similar that can be done together, you're going to save some power in your brain from having to shift that mental energy too much. And by doing a brain dump, you might also find that you have several items on your list that truly can wait. And if that's the case, don't let them sneak in and make you feel even more overwhelmed. Sometimes when we keep all those things in our heads, we think of all the things that we have to do, but a lot of those things really can wait. And by getting them on the list, we can either create a separate list altogether with the can do later items and only focus on the ones that need to be done now. And finally, look on your list for things that you need to say no to. If you don't have to do it, if you don't have to join that committee or do that special school project, don't do it. Say no and you can eliminate something altogether and free up even more of your time. Especially now when we are overwhelmed with all the extra things that we've had to add to our list. Things like create digital resources or set up a Google Classroom. Those things might have to be done, but something else may not. So cross those things off your list. And after you've categorized your brain dump, schedule out those tasks. For me, if it's not on my calendar, it does not get done. So physically put things on your calendar, even the simple things, Think about when are you going to make copies that you need for your students? Do you plan to make those phone calls at the end of the week? Will you pick up your dry cleaning after school on your way home? Give a scheduled time to each task so you know when it's going to get all done and you don't have to worry about when it's going to get done because it's on your calendar and you're going to check it off once it is. If you develop a system for dealing with all those tasks and life events that typically send you down a path to overwhelm, I think you will find that the stress level will come way down. So my first tip is to systematize your stress by doing a brain dump, categorizing tasks that need to be done, and then scheduling those tasks on a calendar so that they do get done. Oh man, I had a hard time picking the clips for this week because there are so many things when it comes to teacher life that we can all relate to. So hopefully you have gotten a little inspiration from the nuggets that I shared today and perhaps carve out a little extra time this week to listen to some of the episodes in their entirety. All right, that is all I have for you today. Get out and enjoy your day. But wait, actually, before you do, make sure you head over to classroomnook.com forward slash summer trip. If you haven't already to sign up to be a part of the giveaways and the freebies that go along with each weekly theme and come on back next week for another episode of the summer road trip with the classroom commute. Bye for now.